So God makes this world and it is perfect. I can't imagine what the Garden of Eden must have been like without any biting insects or sticker bushes or anything that makes life miserable because God made a perfect world and he placed man in the middle of the garden and it was perfect and Man was sinless, and check this out. God walked with Adam every day like he, he came down to the garden. And I don't even understand all of that, but he walked with Adam every day. And, and here's, but here's what he noticed. God says to himself, something's not quite right. And Adam noticed that all the other animals had partners, and he was by himself. And so, so here's what God says in Genesis chapter 2, he says this, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be, what's that? Alone. But he wasn't alone. Like God was there. And God supplies all of your needs and God is the need filler. And if you have God, then why is God saying that Adam is alone and that that's not a good thing? I think that it's, it's more than just a word about he needed a wife. I think it was more a word that reflects our human condition, that we need people in our life. We need to not be alone. And I know that God is the need filler. My God shall supply all your needs. And I believe that he does, but I also believe that, that he puts us in relationship with each other to not only meet other people's needs, but also to have our own needs met. That's what Christianity is supposed to look like, that we are in relationship with each other. We are not alone in this because there is no such thing as hermit Christianity. A hermit is a person who comes apart. They live in solitude, ironically for religious reasons, and I do think that there are moments in our life when it's a good idea for us to unplug and get away and just spend time with God. But there is no such thing as hermit Christianity where we just decide to kind of turtle up and, and hold up into ourselves. We don't, anyone, we don't want anyone to know about our life or the problems that we have. The word you, Y-O-U, appears 2,900 times in the New Testament. I'm assuming that that was correct. I didn't go and count them all. In our English language, we only have one use for the word you, and that's singular. We, in other words, we, we, we use the same word for singular and plural. So I can say to a group of people, you need to do this, and I can also say you to just one person. But in the original Greek where uh, the, the Bible was written in, it had a plural version of the word you. So we say you for one person. We say you for a group of people, unless you're in the South. <laughs> then you say y'all. And we know that there's more than one person involved in this conversation. Or I guess if you're from certain parts of the world, it's what, like yuns? Yuns? So, yeah, use, use, yeah, so... There's, there's different, but you understand what I'm saying. So the, of the 2,900 times, though, here's what's amazing. 1,060 of them are 
directly to an individual, but that means that 1,840 times you see the word you in the New Testament, they're talking to a group of people, which for you folks who enjoy math, that's 75% more times. So 75% more times you is plural, which means that it is assumed more times than not when we are given a command or told to do something in the New Testament, it is a group of us that are supposed to be doing this together. They are assuming that we are living as a church in community, like we are in relationship with each other because living out your faith is not a solo experience. We can confess our sins. We can read the Bible. We can do our best to walk uprightly, to use a biblical term. We can try to be as righteous as we can, as sinless as we can, try and make God happy, but that is not living out the Christian life. We live out the Christian life in community, not as a soloist. Well, I come to church, Eric. I mean, I'm... I'm in relationship with other Christians because I come to church. And I'm glad that you're here, and that is good for you. And when we come to a worship service like that, and our focus is on the Lord, and we're loving God together, that's a beautiful thing. And I do feel that you can come here and shake a hand or give a hug or have a brief conversation. But it's also very possible to come to a worship service and not feel connected at all with anybody else. And you know that's right. You can come to a large crowd and feel completely alone. I've watched you. I've seen it happen. I've seen people walk in, and there are 80 people in the foyer. They walk through every one of them, not saying hi to anybody, find their seat and sit down and wait for someone to come and shake their hand. It's there are people who are that way. I saw a great Babylon Bee article this week. It was a coin-operated door that allows introverted people to walk in through the side without having to talk to anybody. I can appreciate that. <laughs> All right? I'm a forced extrovert. I'm an introvert by nature. I recharge by being alone. I like my quiet time when I don't have to talk to anybody. I didn't pick a great profession, I know, but <laughs> it is what it is. So I get that, but on the same token, we do need some significant relationships in our lives to do life because we have to live out this Christian life in relationship to each other because we are supposed to be one another-ing. All of those one another's that you read about in the Bible, that's, this is what that's all about. We are supposed to be bearing one another's burdens. We are supposed to be encouraging one another. Love one another. Be kind one another. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. Come on, people now. There's a verse for that somewhere in here, I'm sure. But like we are supposed to be doing that in relationship with each other. That matter of fact, the word for one another appears, unbelievably, 100 times in the New Testament in 94 different verses. This is what we're supposed to be doing. But here's the truth, right? Captain Obvious here. One another's don't happen without another. 
Otherwise, you're just one. And too many of us go around as one. I'm oneing. You're supposed to be one anothering. And the othering doesn't happen without another. So we have to be in relationship with another in order to one another. That's why you pay me the big bucks to come up with this deep truth. We have to have another in order to one another. So where does that happen? Where is your one anothering taking place? You need more than that one person. You need to be one anothering with people. Where is that most likely to happen? So, so interestingly, so we've been using Acts chapter 2 as kind of this basis for this whole series of rethinking church. I want you to get a different idea of what church is for. Church is gathering together like this, worshiping the Lord. We found that out two weeks ago, that as we come together in a gathering like this, we are loving God together. Our focus is worshiping him. What is worship? This is why we meet together is to worship the Lord. But there's more to church than just meeting on Sunday. So here's the the reference that we use. uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. We'll probably just read the first part here. It says this, And they, continuing continuing daily with one accord in the temple, we, we kind of said that that's like big church. That's right here. And breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So we understand that the the temple would refer to maybe kind of like what we are doing here, where there's not maybe as much personal interaction with each other as there is instruction given, as there is worshiping God together. But we also need the house to house. We need to we need to be in each other's homes. We need to we need to be in somebody else's house. Wait till you're invited. That's called breaking and entering if you're not invited first. So once you are, once you have a relationship with somebody, we need to be in each other's lives like that. So why do we need house to house? This is, this is gonna be very practical. Um, so, so why do we need house to house? First of all, I think it helps us move. It helps move us from knowing to growing. Revelation. Knowing is not the same as growing. Because you can know a lot, but not have grown a lot. I have discovered this. I, uh, I came to Christ when I was nine years old. We got into church when I was in my early to mid-teens, and I've been at it ever since, right? But spiritual age does not equal spiritual maturity. Because I know Christians who have been saved a long time and are horrible people. Some of the meanest people I have ever met are Christians. They're old, crusty people that don't like anybody. And they're horrible to be around. And there's no evidence of the love of God in their life. There's no grace coming out of their mouth. Some, nobody in this room, I'm just saying, I've heard of people like that in other churches I've been a part of. You may have been a Christian for years, but are you a kinder Christian now than you used to be? Are you more patient with 
your spouse. It's okay to be impatient with drivers because they don't know you. I don't really have a verse for that, but are you, so you've been a, you've been a Christian for a long time. So, so are you more loving? Oh, do you give more? Are you more generous? Or are you still a tight wad? I mean, think about this. Like we, we say, you know, uh, 10% is like the minimum that we should be willing to give. It's, a, it's an Old Testament principle that carries over from many people into the New Testament. And it seems like God has given us so much. Like why wouldn't we want to give back at least 10% of everything he's given to us? I believe, I believe in that. I've, I've done that like my whole spiritual life. My first job, I was calculating how much money I need to make sure that I'm giving to the Lord every week in the offering. I've done it my whole, my whole Christian life. I believe that. But am I giving any more than that now? Are we, are we more generous than we ever have been? And that's why I love percentages. Because it's not about how much money you make. It's about how much you give away. And, and I think it's a beautiful, fair formula. Are we more generous than we ever have been in our life? And it really got quiet. We were okay with grouchy people, right? When I talk about being more loving and more kind and giving more, it's like, like, I don't want to breathe too loud right now. You may be more knowledgeable because you've been coming for a long time, but are you growing? We, and we need knowledge. I think we need knowledge to grow. That's why I YouTube everything. YouTube is the greatest search engine aside from Google. The guy at Jiffy Loop tells me I need to replace my cabin air filter for $60 that I can buy for $14. I'm going to YouTube how to replace my cabin air filter in my wife's car. It's in the glove compartment of the Mazda CX-9. It takes like 60 seconds unless you put it in backwards. Then it takes like 90 seconds. But I needed to know that, right? So I YouTubed it, and there's so much info. Knowledge is necessary to grow. And we all have these, what we call need-to-know moments. And need-to-know moments happen when we, because we learn best when we have to. Knowledge increases exponentially when we're in a situation where we need the information. That makes sense. You didn't know you needed it then. So, so, so when I went and got my bachelor's degree, so I just, you know, I, I, go, I go to a Bible college. And in the Bible college, I'm a young guy living in the dorm. I'm more worried about what kind of car I'm driving or who I'm gonna date, right? I'm going to, I'm going to all these great classes and there's all this great information and I was learning, but I didn't know that I needed to know it. So I learned it and I'm sitting in the classroom and it was good information but it wasn't necessarily growing me. But then I went and got into the ministry and I realized they didn't teach this in Bible college. I don't remember a class on this. And so then I was in ministry for five years and I went and got my bachelor's degree and guess what? I listened a lot closer. I got a lot more out of those two years than I did the previous four. Because like I was like, oh, I see why I need this now. I, so when you know you need to know is when you tend to learn more efficiently. 
So we have these need to know moments, but, but moments, but we also have these need to grow moments. And need to grow moments are necessary because we grow best when we need to. So we don't often put ourselves in positions where we need to grow because we don't like to be uncomfortable. We like to be around people who like us. We like to be in positions that are enjoyable. And those are wonderful and life-giving and we need those in our life. But at the same token, sometimes we need to be in situations that force us to grow. There's two moments in my life that were probably some of the most painful that I've ever experienced, but they also propelled me into the next phase of my life. And God used that moment in my life to take me to a different place in my relationship with him. And so that happens when we become uncomfortable and growth happens when we need to grow. We put ourselves in pleasant environments, but sometimes we need to be around people who don't always agree with us. We need to be around situations that make us feel uncomfortable because we all learn best when we have to and we all grow best when we need to and growth requires change. And that's why I like house to house. You're getting into situations and going deeper with people and you're understanding their problems and they're understanding your problems and you're going into a place that may not feel comfortable, but it also helps you to grow because we're going from just knowing to growing. I also like house to house because it moves us from theory to practice. I grew up in church, right? I, I have not even tried to count how many services I've been a part of. It's a lot of them. So like I, because when, when, I was Baptist and Baptist doesn't believe in Sunday morning only. Because if you love Jesus, you'll be back here tonight. And if you really love him, you're going to come back on Wednesday night for prayer meeting. All right? And so I, I attended a whole bunch of those things. I went to Sunday school, went to church. And if you're Southern Baptist, you went to training union. That's in the, that, you know, old Southern Baptist, you remember training union. That was nighttime Sunday school. And then you go to Sunday night church, Wednesday night church. And I've had a lot of church. And that's a lot of information. And I learned a lot, and I'm so grateful for all of that time. I read about and learned about the early believers and how they cared for each other. I remember hearing all of the great stories, the feeding of the 5,000, the young man who brought his lunch. And then after everybody had eaten their fill, they collected 12 baskets of food. And I love to think that Jesus said, hey, take it home, son. And he comes home to his mama with 12 baskets of food. And she's like, where'd you get that, boy? I know you didn't leave here with all of that. But I love the story of the Good Samaritan. Who is my neighbor? How am I supposed to interact with I love all of those stories. But in community groups, in people's homes, in the relationships that I have been able to develop in the last several years of my life, as I've gotten involved in smaller groups inside of homes, I've seen people encouraged and lives enriched. I've seen houses painted, lawns mowed, hospital visits made, cars borrowed, wells repaired, money given. 
prayers answered. It went from theory to practice. That is one anothering. And it's hard to one another in rows. So how's that happening in your life? It happens when you get in relationship with each other. I'm not talking about being good church members. I'm talking about being good Christians. And there is a big difference. Now, you can be a good Christian and a good church member. I'm not saying it's either or. But I'm saying so many times we become good church members and we attend and we might even give and we might even put a smile on our face, but that doesn't mean that we are being good Christians and living out our faith. And Sunday church is great and I love this so much. My favorite day of the week is Sunday. It's good for you. It's good for your family. But the best program for your kids is a mom and dad who are spiritually healthy and growing and living in community with other believers. Because let me tell you, I love Miss Cindy and I love our children's program and we've invested pretty good money with all that stuff and we really have a great program for your kiddos. But that 45 minutes a week ain't enough. You dropping them off and saying goodbye and then hearing their stories afterwards and the snack all over the front of them, that's a wonderful experience for them. But the very best kids program you can have for your children is a mom and dad who model what it looks like to live in community and who love Jesus. Because your kids are more likely to imitate who you are rather than where you send them. So church becomes who you are rather than just a place that you attend. So, so um, why do we need house to house? Because we want to go from knowing to growing. We want to go from theory to practice, and we want to move from anonymity. But we love that, don't we? We want to move from anonymity to belonging. We don't live in a very socially healthy society. We love to remain anonymous because it's safe. We can impress people with a mask that we wear in public without them knowing who we really are. And if nobody knows you, I mean, the, if nobody knows the you behind the mask that you wear, then you don't become a better you because you're not dealing with the issues that lie down deep inside. And I don't mean like everybody ought to know your business. Whoo, God help us. Everyone doesn't need to know that. But you need a couple people who do. You need a few people in your life that know you well. And where's that happening? If nobody knows you, it's just hard to become a better version of you. We need real relationships with people who care, who know your story, and who understand and try and help you with who you are a listening ear, a hug, a swift kick to the rear are hard to self-administer. But that's what we need. And the community groups give you a better opportunity for intentional relationships. 
That's the house-to-house version of church. Because here's the truth. It's harder to hide in a living room. Some of you are going to try just to prove me wrong. But it's hard to hide around a kitchen table. you got to be who you are. It's hard to hide in someone's living room. It's easier to hide because there's a difference between image and honesty. In a larger group, we normally are more concerned with image. In a smaller, more familiar group, we, are, we tend to be more open. Even Jesus had his 12. And of those 12, he had three that he was especially close to who knew Jesus better than anybody else. And he was God. So what do we need to learn here? That we need to meet in the temple. That church is this right here. But we also need to meet house to house. And that church is happening in smaller communities. So what do you need to do with this? Can I ask you this morning to take a step of faith into a smaller community? We call them community groups here. Move forward into a group of other flawed people where you are doing life together and they're just as nervous as you are about getting involved and sitting in somebody's living room talking about the sermon on Sunday and how it applies to our life and the mess that we are or the goodness that we've experienced and experiencing life together And I would ask you to make time and prioritize that into your week. I know time is precious. And I'm grateful that you were here. But I truly believe you need to make time to meet in a group throughout the week as well. Our groups run in 13-week semesters. So we're having sign-ups this week and next week, and then they last for 13 weeks. And we'll take a few weeks off, do more sign-ups, and have a spring semester. And so I would encourage you to say, all right, for the next 13 weeks, I'm going to prioritize a community group. I'm going to pick one, and I'm going to jump in, and I'm going to make this happen. And I'm going to invest some time to be house to house with church. I'm going to rethink this idea of church. It's good for you. It's good for them to have you in the group. I love what Paul said as he's Introducing his letter to the Romans, he says this in Romans chapter 1. He said, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Don't you love that? That's what we need. Let me reiterate, I'm glad you're here. There's a lot of benefit from this right here. But We're not made to go through life isolated from anybody else knowing any of our stuff. There need to be people in your life that hold you accountable, that encourage you, that love you well, that you are opening up to just a little bit more and growing exponentially because of you've given them the opportunity to know you. Maybe take the mask off a little bit and be who you are. House to house and in the temple is what we're talking about. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I don't know 
what it is you're wanting to change in my life. And I believe that you can speak into my heart and life like nobody else can. But you recognize from the beginning of this world how important it was for us to do life with each other. And I pray, Father, we'd open ourselves up to that your Holy Spirit would speak right now into our heart and life. And we would make ourselves just a little vulnerable, maybe a little uncomfortable, so we can grow that much more. Thank you for wanting to be in a relationship with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.